0: spinning its way to damnation amidst the fear and despair of a broken human race. Who's left to fight for what's good and pure? Harvey J. fucking K. That's who. <laughs> Welcome to Night Rule. My name is Isaac. I'm extremely pleased to be joined again by friend of the show and campus rogue soon coming to a campus near you, Professor Harvey J. K. Welcome back, Harvey.
1: Thank you. It's good to see you, Isaac.
0: Yeah, it's good I to see you, every- too. I think
1: everybody knows we were supposed to be doing this a week ago. It's but, true. But you know what? It's even better today.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, One kind of random topic on my mind, I know we don't usually hit on uh, sports and culture, but there was a a story coming out of hockey, which I follow pretty closely. For the first time, um, a prospect, it's not even an active player, but we we have the first openly gay hockey player in the hockey world, Hmm. which to be frank, on the one hand, I'm like, okay, that's great. On the other hand, I think it's a pretty sad fucking commentary in a lot of ways that it's taken this long. I mean, I, the other sports necessarily don't have them like, you know, they're not, they're not all over the place in terms of people who are actually openly out. But, uh, but what do you think about that? Do you think it's a, a positive step and or a sad commentary?
1: Well, the, the joke line is, well, I guess he's the first.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah, it seems it does seem like it's taken a while. I mean, I I, th- I don't know how many years ago, but it wasn't that long ago that first openly gay, or at least the first American football player, came out as gay. But I lose track of time. I really do. Yeah. And uh, again, I can't keep these things kind of straight in my head. And um, but that's but I'm surprised. I didn't realize it took this long for someone in hockey to do that. Didn't know that. Yeah,
0: I mean. And maybe and I always also feel
1: bad because I really should. No more straight gay question aside. I, I'm one of the things I always say to people when I say what you and I are going to talk is, yeah, this is fellow I know up in Vancouver, sort of hmm. Canadian American. Hmm. One thing I can tell you is he's an Edmonton Oilers fan.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. So,
1: you know, and it's but, been I've and, been
0: in the trenches on Twitter dealing with the uh, Edmonton Oilers fans. It actually kind of ties into something I wanted to talk to you about because. I've been arguing with people on Twitter a lot about statistics and st- statistical models and charts and graphs. And I think a lot of them are just, you know, in university or younger than me and they're learning it for the first time. But a lot of them just don't seem to want to talk about things like cognitive biases and assumptions and how that can actually wreck a statistical model. Like, it just, it seems like they're just blissfully fucking unaware that <laughs> that's literally a thing that you okay, need to look at very closely.
1: You are definitely talking to the wrong person because... So I did, I did statistics in graduate school. Mm-hmm. And, and I got an A, don't ask me how, because, I'm, because I swear to you, within weeks after finishing, I must have hit the flush button in my head.
0: Oh, and yeah, as every university student who took a statistics class that they were forced to did, I'm sure, which is why I avoided it. <laughs> so I did it.
1: similarly with trigonometry and calculus uh, mm. courses.
0: Well, your secret's safe with me. Um, but in the same way that perhaps People need to relearn and be reintroduced to the concept of, you know, uh, skepticism when it comes to statistics, general critical thinking. Perhaps they also require an education in radical history. I noticed you wrote a fantastic piece today on Common Dreams about uh, a young fellow by the name of Josh Hawley. Is it Hawley or Haley? Hawley. Hawley. Yeah. Um, And he he came out with a big uh, kind of populist sounding critique of big tech
1: yeah he in, in in a variety of venue he's venues he's presented himself as the republican populist which is to say that he is going to be what the old term man of the people working people the common folk and and he's and in doing so he's clearly distinguishing himself from in the way he goes about it from the overwhelming majority of, of republican congressmen and senators uh, and, and Congresswomen, for that matter. And, but here's the interesting thing. So he comes out of Missouri. His father b- became a successful banker. He himself went to uh, see a, an elite, I think it would have been an elite Catholic high school, but at least an elite high school in his, in his area. He went to Stanford as an undergraduate. He went off to teach at a very, uh, my understanding, elite in quotes, public school in England, came back, went to Yale Law School. And along the way, he had mentoring from people who were not necessarily at all in his political mode. But if they knew a great deal about him, then they would know that even in high school, he was writing right-wing columns for the local newspaper. His story is that of a a real conservative, or better said, a right-winger in the making. And he's been in the right place at the right time, and he's now, junior US, it's junior US Senator from Missouri. Mm-hmm. And what's what's curious about all of that is the fact that he, in case people in Canada don't know, he is one of the folks who really took the position that there were in various states, elect not just electoral irregular, election irregularities, but he was prepared to go into the US Senate or into the electoral Congress no, it was the final confirmation of the electoral Congress on January 6th and opposed the approval of, I guess in his case, Pennsylvania's vote. Mm-hmm. And on the way in, he already made it clear along the way what his intentions were when he arrived, but on the way in, as the crowds formed outside the Capitol building, he gave them a fist pump, mm-hmm. right? And which is to say, you know, I'm with you, or don't worry, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna make this happen. And of course, yeah. in the ensuing moments, minutes, hours, this group outside of the Capitol stormed the Capitol. This group of insurrectionists, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. um, stormed the Capitol and threatened the lives of of senators, congressmen, including the vice president of the United States. So, anyhow, um, Hawley later claimed that he actually, you know, he didn't; he, he had no intention of encouraging such. Villainous and vicious behavior. Nevertheless, he did okay. And uh, along, and he had a book contract going into this whole affair uh, to write a book titled "The Tyranny of Big Tech," which I assume he had already delivered, but his publisher, Simon and Schuster, and I'll just say Simon and Schuster is one of my publishers, full disclosure, withdrew yeah. the contract. What's that?
0: I said full disclosure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, withdrew the contract. Mm-hmm. Okay, on the grounds not not of what transpired alone on that day, but his refusal to accept the victory of Joe Biden. What kind of mind they could argue would have, you know, failed to see uh, what was taking taking place. Mm-hmm. So the book came out with a a right wing, or you know, to be polite, conservative publisher. I think it's pronounced Rigneri or Rignieri, but Rigneri, and it 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 has a record of publishing really far right, but it more recently fairly significant conservative political and intellectual figures. I use the word intellectual loosely. Loosely. Yeah. Um, Well, the book came out and, and I couldn't resist uh, reading it in part, because the title was so amazing for a conservative or right winger. That is somebody who was challenging the power of capital, at least one sector of capital, Mm -hmm. you know, he was going to go after Amazon and Google and, um, Twitter, well, the likes of Jeff Bezos, okay, Jack Dorsey, I guess, is the other guy. And of course, quick. um, Mark Zuckerberg, now let me just
0: quickly say, thank you for throwing yourself on this spirit grenade for us, Harvey, so we don't have to read this book.
1: Yeah, well, you know, just as a sidebar, I'll tell you back in the 90s, I used to write a lot of, I actually had a series of columns that, that I was writing, one for the Index on Censorship over in, headquartered over in London. The other one was the DSA newsletter, Democratic Left. I I you know I was really following, I was watching Fox TV, I was reading the right wing media, I I was, you know, the whole the whole shtick I was doing. And I but I got to the point where I kind of burned out on it. And I that's when I really committed myself all the more to my real interest of the, of these past few decades. And that's the story of the American radical tradition and radical America. But recently, recently I, I, I'm constantly blown away by how what once upon a time people might have called conservative for some time now has become reactionary. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, and this has really been a thing of mine ever since the 80s is especially in the wake of Ronald Reagan, the capacity of the right to erase history or face history to uh, appropriate elements in history. Um, from the left and, and pervert them, twist them, essentially hijack them and, and, you know, try to fit them into a narrative that can be used against the left. Mm-hmm. So, uh, things were, uh, knowing the populism or, you know, the so-called populism of Hawley, I couldn't resist reading this book. Mm-hmm. And what blew me away is these a set of paragraphs which, if you read the piece, um, ones you cited
0: them, in the uh, in the article, I can read them here if you want.
1: Yeah, I mean, you want to read them, or I sure you want me to just do a reading of them? um Either or you or, want to we... post, that you, you don't have them, so you can project have, them up on the.
0: I have them. We can yeah, we can post them online too. I mean, let's just do the first paragraph. Big tech looms as large as any corporate power in American history, as large as the railroads from a century back, as large as the steel trust and the oil trust and the money trust from the height of the Gilded Age. Its sway is prodigious. Its reach is wide. And yet, like those earlier monopolies, big tech's power is ultimately ultimately precarious because Americans are never long contented to be ruled over by barons. They agitate, they protest, they rebel against it. That is what's happening now, and that is why there is cause for hope. And I completely agree. These sound like words that, you know,
1: the that of would these say. are words yeah. that I could have written. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. I mean, my Thomas Paine book, the fight for the four freedoms, take hold of our history. I mean, all of these things, that's that's what I've been if not not i mean i'm not the only one writing it but that's the kind of stuff that i've been trying to get the left yeah politically not the intellectual not the, not the left of historians but let's put it this way the left of public intellectuals the left of politicians to embrace that reality basically to recognize those that, that truth and also to encourage americans to to understand what what America has been about. And I say this because Americans themselves for a long time have, des- have aspired to see, have elected folks for some time who, were, who they believed might pursue progressive, if not radical action. And over and over again, and here I'm talking about Democrats, obviously they've been disappointed. Yeah. They've been abandoned. This has been going on for like 40 to 45 years. Yeah. So the idea is how, 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 do, you, how do you remind people number one, as to why they feel the way they do, and two, start to show that you too understand what's at stake and what has been at stake all these years. So so I I read this stuff and I thought, my goodness, this is amazing. Um, By the end of the book, one gets to see that he's not at all the populist or the radical that he projects by way of those quotes, but nevertheless, what I came to realize is that it not donald trump who's his mentor the guy who he was who who i do believe he wanted to see win not just win the presidency but occupy the white house so that in four years time he could hand over the keys to the white house mm. to josh hawley himself mm. and but it isn't trump isn't exactly his model Tr- hawley's too smart to see trump as a model mm. okay i think his model is ronald reagan Mm The Ronald Reagan, who once upon a time had been actually a Democrat, but more importantly, the Ronald Reagan, who did harness the American story and hijacked it Mm. in order to literally challenge the Republican establishment Mm. and the corporate establishment of 1979 and 1980. Because Mm. Reagan was not the darling at all of the Eastern corporate establishment. There was a Mm. Western, if you like, wing of capitalism, Elements of the military industrial complex, but not not the Eastern financial elite. Mm, And mm. so Reagan postured, I won't won't say as a populist, he postured as the champion of America's promise Mm. and the champion of the real story of America against what liberals had already refused to embrace and were turning their back on. Mm. So if you think about Hawley, who's, as we said, he's Stanford and Yale Law School and all of that, what what Hall is doing really is he's modeling himself in a kind of Reagan-like way. Okay. He's art- he's articulate, he's a, he's a handsome guy, he's tall. There's the the, the physical attributes. And, and then, within
0: that tradition as well of, of uh, that that strain of American culture that wants to doesn't want to think about the ways in which America's failed, wants to view it as just kind of, you know, you look at like say debating the Vietnam War, the side that would say, Well, America's not all bad, okay. Like yeah. They're both tapping right. into that same tradition, for right. sure. but
1: but but, but what Hawley is doing is, in a sense, goes even beyond Reagan, so he, he's literally going beyond Reagan. Reagan, of course, pro- projected a divinely ordained America, celebrated the Founding Fathers, um, very selectively celebrated the greatest generation of the 30s and 40s, his own generation, but did so without any reference to how progressive they were in pursuing the New Deal Mm. led by FDR, but Mm -hmm. rather simply celebrating their heroism in war, which by the way, I think should be celebrated. But that's the the point, you select a strain of history, okay, that can Mm -hmm. contribute to a sort of narrow understanding of what the American story has been about, Mm -hmm. and you literally efface or suppress the very things about Ameri- the American story that would enable Americans to understand why they feel the way they do, why they've been looking for progressive, if not radical action. Okay, so so Holly go- ha- is indeed going beyond Reagan. But, and that's what blew me away. It really did. And, and I think, and by the way, the saddest part of all this is, is that this is the kind of thing that too many people on the intellectual left themselves don't get, okay? So, so you know, they, they might imagine that I think that Hall, I didn't, for example, somebody said to me, you didn't trash Holly," And I said, well, I'm not trying to talk to Holly's followers. I wanna to talk to people on the left, especially yeah. my peers, to get them to understand what's at stake. Hawley, in spite of his utterly atrocious and villainous behavior, may well become, if not immediately, sooner or later, presidential nominee of the Republican Party. Now, keep in mind, Reagan won in 1980 against the incumbent, Jimmy Carter. Why was that? Because Jimmy Carter was so awful. Okay, he turned his back on the very forces that put him in power. He yeah. specifically called for liberating business, liberating capital. He, yeah. he deregulated finance and, and transportation. Okay, mm. he, he actually is the president who coined the term austerity mm. and literally launches
0: yeah, liberalism right? in the White House. Yeah.
1: So, and, so, and in essence, Americans, men, most, a lot of American working people didn't even turn out to vote in 1980 because they were so fed up with Carter, which, in, which enabled Reagan to win the presidency. So imagine this, if the Democrats fail right now, it's all, nice, it's all well and good to see Biden as doing his damnedest to overcome his own neoliberal politics, mm-hmm. which we have yet to fully realize, okay, I mean, he's made these proposals, but he has yet to discipline his own party effectively enough to guarantee that we're gonna see these things. So imagine if he fails, Imagine if people don't, for example, don't even show up in 2022 to vote for Democrats, especially when they think to themselves, the Democrats can't even pass a $15 minimum wage. Boom. So my thinking is we could end up with a Republican House, possibly, okay, a Republican president next time around. Imagine this scenario, Joe Biden, who is popular to, to a great degree, doesn't have the wherewithal physically to go on in 2024 and steps aside in favor of Kamala, Kamala can, Harris. Uh,
0: Kamala Harris is, can't is, win
1: the presidency. She's a loser, okay?
0: Yeah, I mean, I know and here, it's true in some instances, but like the, the fact is she just doesn't have charisma.
1: And, and her record leaves a lot to be desired. So anyhow, so here comes Holly, okay? With a populist tale okay guaranteeing action okay is going to break up the big the big tech people he says i mean these are the kinds of things that could literally flip the switch once again so i think people on the left and i say left and i, I don't care if people want to you know go oh you got to be kidding liberals progressives radicals socialists the broad left needs to rediscover american history they need to. They need to start talking about the American story in a way that encourages their fellow Americans to live up to what it means to be an American in the best sense. Okay, the enhancement of freedom, equality, and democracy. Okay, the you know the establishment of a more small D democratic nation. Mm. And it's all that kind of stuff. So, I it, I've I went back to what I used to do in the in the 80s and the 90s, and I and my feeling is it's imperative that we see what's at stake in, they call it the history wars, mm. once again. And I, I, they called it the history wars in the 1980s, they called it that in the 1990s. Here we are in the 21st century and it's back again. The left, the public left turned its back on American history for over and over again. And it's time that we wake up or once again, in an even worse fashion, we'll see the right-wingers making the most of it. And by the way, today I happen, mm. happen to be on the west side of Green Bay where the Barnes and Noble store is. And I haven't been in a Barnes and Noble in a long time. And I went in to get a, you know, cause they have Starbucks inside there. I went to get a get a coffee and I was walking the aisle, the history and current affairs aisles. And I was blown away. I used to be, it used to be shocking how many conservative titles of books were on the shelves. Now it's like, you know it's gotta be like 75% of the books of, of, of that are new are right wing attacks mm-hmm. on the left for somehow, you know, screwing up America. I mean, look, I, there's a, a book. There's this guy. Uh, what's his name? Levin. Levin.
0: Levine. Oh yeah, I've heard La- the name. The name rings a bell. As a commentator, I'm forgetting
1: right? his first name. I mean, he's written. He, he's one of these guys who writes a book a year, like Ben Shapiro. He writes a book a year. Sure. A and horrible book. They a have year. a formula. They have a formula, right? And the formula is the same over and over again, and that formula is, by the way, he's a huge radio name. I think Levin, I think, is how they yeah. Pronounce I know it. the guy you're talking about. And so, and they over and over again, they have a formula, and the formula is the left is a is is ABC doing in America? They're communists, they're Marxists. Now, nobody, they, he's not going to convince. He's not going to convince anybody to shift gears all because of that language. No,
0: it's all about but the but fact that he, he already, already has believe. a huge
1: following. Yeah. He's yeah. literally, he's literally cementing those folks to this right wing understanding. Okay, and and what and and by the way, there's this you know there's this great remark by Michael Harrington back in 1973 in the book called Fragments of of the Century. It's kind of a his own story in the context of his many years on the on the left and basically he says you know i came to love america when i became a socialist okay and then he, he warns he says any left that fails to do uh, fails to embrace the best of america the, the the potential of america will never be trusted by the vast majority of americans mm-hmm. and you know so it's all well and good to build, you know, a great following by literally lambasting every single dimension of American life, mm. but or pulling down every single figure, even your own, you know, leftists of the past, mm. you know, go after Lincoln, go after Roosevelt, sure. do all that. Well, you you know, you'll build your following, and you maybe you'll sell magazines or whatever else, but you yeah. sure as hell will continue to lose and continue to be marginal. So it, it's imperative that Americans. Not allow that to happen. The American left has to start realizing, and I'm not talking about suppressing the story of the tragedy and the irony, of the exploitation. No, what I'm no. talking about is don't let the right hijack the very story that enabled the Americans, you know, Americans to declare their independence and create a, something of a democratic republic, to bring an end to slavery, mm. to empower workers, to empower women, to beat mm. fascism. I mean, it's all that, right? Yeah.
0: It reminds me of kind of the over enthusiasm of a young student who, you know, reads about something for the first time that they've maybe heard about before but never knew about it and they they feel as though they know it and no one else does like there was this right winger that posted recently something like, if Socrates was alive today he would have gotten cancelled. And it's like, well, did this guy know anything about the life of Socrates? It feels like it's such a fucking layup. Sorry, that's- it's hilarious, right? Yeah. Like the level, and, and it's it's all, a lot of the stuff is so surface level that it's really a layup just to do some basic work, learn a little bit of the history, to be able to refute people when they say shit like, oh, Martin Luther King wanted us to not be judged by the color of our skin. Then you can say, yeah, well, but he also said this, this, and this.
1: Yeah. And- Well, they're that's what the right. Hey, back in the, Reagan and his and his team did just that. They literally- you know, they used King against the left. They said, you know, King, King would never, never accept the idea of affirmative action because, the, because of the very words you just cited.
0: And people are getting worse and worse, it seems, at recognizing bad faith arguments and bad faith actors, perhaps. Um, I mean, maybe, you know, we should be spending a portion of our day literally just boning up on our history because like really a lot of times, if you come back with people come back to people with some actual facts and some and demonstrate some knowledge of it, they get extremely intimidated. It's really just like it's almost like citing these names like I think of James Carville talking about how he was reading Lenin. it's like it's like a intellectual virtue signaling. you're saying, oh I know who Socrates is, I know who Hegel is. I've read Marx even though I'm you know a liberal or a right winger and it's like as soon as you kind of prick the pomposity a little bit with a tiny bit of knowledge, they shrink pretty fucking fast
1: let me, my, let me my- but sorry you just reminded me of something from Oh, 40 years ago. So, when I first was starting to, I, well, I was maybe a couple of years at most into teaching here in Green Bay. And I had a student in the class, a young woman who I liked very much. She was a great student in many ways. And she came over to cl- afterward and said to me, My, my father in law wrote his dissertation on Marxism. I said, Really? Who's your father in law? She said, I got to make sure I get the name right. It was Lee Dreyfus. Lee Dreyfus, by the way, at that time was the governor of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I said, your father-in-law is the governor of Wisconsin. I said, he wrote about Marxism. I thought, this is fascinating. I revelation. And then I said, go find out the title <laughs> of the dissertation. Cause he was a professor and then the head of one of the university campuses. And then he ran for governor as a Republican. And he was nothing, nothing, nothing as a conservative, anything like the conservatives who were coming up in Wisconsin, such as Scott Walker. Mm. And she said, yeah, he wrote about, because he got his PhD in communications. He wrote about Marxism and communism and propaganda. I said, ah, right. I got it. You know, it's just when you said that, I, I was mm. reminded of that.
0: I mean, honestly, it's, it's like on the last episode, we were talking with Marianne Cummings as well as about, we're really in like an age of pseudoscience. There's a, there's a pseudo intellectual like culture. It's really bizarre to me. Like, um, and really, I think you see the best commentators on the left are the ones that have a, just enough knowledge to be able to challenge the most ridiculous talking points. And they're they're really the people who spout them. They're they're not doing their fucking research. They're being handed marching orders by, you know, the, the per- person further up the chain. They haven't thought this shit
1: through. Uh, uh, and yeah, I saw you had Marianne and Harry Stolz on the same. Yeah. Harry's this really br- sorry. It sounds very patronizing or paternalistic. This Is very bright. Sort of, sort of precocious young man who's who's just very impressive. Okay, I don't hmm. know. I didn't get to see the episode, the episode, but I like Harry a lot.
0: Yeah, Harry's great. Um, honestly, Harry I, and I, I know from connected Dave with him and just Selden through Show, you online. I really want to get more young people on as well. Um, like a variety of young people because I've got
1: I've got a crew of, a, a crew you may want on some evening. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's my, they, a group of students, that all graduated at the same time. We've stayed in very close touch. We have daily email, not email, texting exchanges.
0: Yeah, add me, because I've never, I've never been involved in a crew before. I mean, you know, I love the crew of the Starship Enterprise, obviously. There's that great Dave Chappelle sketch where Charlie Murphy, Eddie Murphy's brother, recalls the tale of meeting Prince. And Eddie Murphy's crew and Prince's crew ended up playing a game of basketball. Well, I it's call so them funny. my
1: UWGB crew. That's nice. University of Wisconsin Green Bay crew. They're very sweet. They wanted to call it Harvey's crew. I said, no, 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 uh, no, 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 What
0: do you think, what, what do you get the most out of when it comes to this relationship of, of kind of teacher and student? Like, I think a lot about the kind of um, complexities of that kind of relationship and how there's so many kind of hidden pleasures and, and avenues for intellectual exploration that exists there. Um, like, it's interesting to me. How much of a microcosm for progress that really is when it when it's when it's done well when it's going
1: well You know what I mean? Like, well, for a start, if the students are good, it's not that they're going to be. They don't have to be brilliant. They don't have to be able to write everything. You know, everything as if they were either Shakespeare or or Marx himself or Thomas Paine, for that matter. But what I really like is students who ask questions. And I think that's, I think that when I say, why wow, I really like that students, because, you know, it's a student who probably asks questions that, that comes back to when I was growing up and I, I didn't grow up in a particularly Jewish, you know, sort of, what's the word, the old fashioned kind of community at all. And I mm-hmm. went to public school and all that, but my family comes out of Eastern Europe and there's that tradition in Eastern Europe, the Talmudic tradition where they, the schools for boys were all built around that tradition and the Talmudic tradition basically involved a pedagogy. Now we know you, you know, you mentioned Socrates before, there's the Socratic method where a mm-hmm. professor stands in a room and he throws out a question or he challenges a student.
0: I find it electrifying in certain contexts, to be honest. I love it. Yeah. Like I had a, a teacher, a professor who was teaching us medieval poetry and she used that method exclusively. It was fantastic.
1: Yeah, and my 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 younger daughter was a, a law student at at Harvard, mm. she's now a lawyer, a law student at Harvard. And um, that, they they of course have, sizable classes and the method they use, especially in the first year, is that Socratic method. In case
0: anyone doesn't know what the Socratic method is, the lecturer poses questions to the class and they return response and it goes back and forth on that basis.
1: Well, at okay. least the, they, their job is to know an answer. Okay? Mm. And okay. when they prepare the cases and stuff like that in the most mm. straightforward way. The Talmudic method went beyond that as a tradition. It, it, it Basically, a, a teacher in a, in a classroom would pose a question. And the real test as to whether or not the students could, could, could answer the question in a way as to pose a new question, revealing they could have answered the question, but let's take it to a higher level. So it's like mm. a dialectical kind of thing.
0: Mm. So there's like and level I, jumping and abstraction. I like that.
1: Yeah. And then and Aaron, there's, a, there's an old saying it goes, uh, two Jews, three opinions. Mm. Okay.
0: Yeah, I've heard that one.
1: Okay. And so it's, it's not unlike that you know, I came out to Wisconsin, well, I first was in Minnesota. Then I came to Wisconsin to, in both regions of the the States, uh, Minnesota sort of North of the cities and here in Northeast Wisconsin. So decidedly sort of it was German American, German Catholic kinds of communities. And there were, it was more diversity than that, but the majority of, of students often came out of what I would say to them about their ethnic backgrounds, just raise their hands. It was, it had to be, three quarters of the class, if you mentioned German, the hands went up. And what, what, what was striking to me is how, when, when you posed a question to them and you pushed them on it, they would tend to respond as if you were, you were not bullying them, but really mm. that you were challenging them unfairly in other people, in mm. front of other people. Mm. And I realized it was a colleague of mine who said, your students don't understand that you come from New York. Okay, and that in New York, when you ask a person a question it's usually a sign of respect Mm. and if you push them on things it probably means that you're you're interested in in how they are totally yeah yeah so so i went and i always started my courses by explaining to them about socratic method talmudic method and that if i ignore them it means i don't like them Mm. okay which i i'm sure that still didn't make them feel comfortable when i asked hey john what do you think of that or hey john Explain that to me if you can. I mean, right. I'm sure they didn't care for that. But then again, you know. The cultural it, idiosyncrasies the of way, Germany. By the right. way, and the key thing is this. Even when it was a simple thing, like I didn't quite understand that, could you say it again?
2: Mm.
1: It for You don't really know something well until you have to teach it to someone else.
2: Mm.
1: So the more the students force you to explain things, assuming they're not looking just to kill time, it isn't just that they'll know better, I I would know better than
0: mm, yes, exactly. Kind of exactly the kind of point I was trying to arrive at. But I will say a quick sidebar. I think the cultural idiosyncrasies of the German people are not widely understood. I remember I had a good friend who went there and taught English for a little while to businessmen. Mm. And I don't know if he told this story before, but she said, you know, the first week she was really, you know, she's from Canada. She was really lively and friendly and smiling and, and just very like outgoing. And they all treated her like she was completely insane, like an alien or something. She didn't know why. <laughs> and then she found out that in that context, at least, someone who smiles all the time is basically seen. It's like a sign that you're a total idiot, oh, basically. Oh, oh so she, yeah. she kind of had to like become a little more stern and Germanic. Um, but I will say, like ultimately, like that that question that leads to another question and that that back and forth like ultimately like that's what I mean that's the full flourishing of the human mind like it happens in a group it's not on an individual level we'd like to think of geniuses as as solo artists and that's why I love podcasting too you know the kinds of questions that you arrive at after a dialogue um like that's really where so much of the magic happens I think in life and it's sorely lacking in so many different places
1: um well you know when I tried to explain to them I said to them you know this is if they were upper division students, not my 18 year olds who couldn't legally drink. I'd say, Hey, you know, like when you're, if you're in a bar with some friends and somebody says something and everybody knows, they know what's on your mind. And they, they then come back with something that sort of pushes the conversation. They don't just sit there nodding their heads. And in some ways, that's a sort of, if you like uh, a more sociable version of, of the pedagogy. You know, it's, it's like you make a remark and every, because everyone knows what you're looking for. And then they say, okay, but yeah, I'm not gonna waste my time with, you know, if you push it further, it's like this back and forth. You know, it's like, you know, there's another, I'm, I can't believe I'm talking about so many Jewish things, but there's that term kibitzing, you know, kibitzing.
0: Kibitzing, like like in a, a kibbutz. No, kibbutz no, no, kibitz kibitz is different,
1: no, kibitz, oh. kibitz is to kid with someone. Like, oh. you know, like I'll say, I'll say something, look, you've come to know me a bit, so I can say something to you, which if you just read the words on a page, you think I was being unkind to you.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah but yeah.
1: really it's because we know each other and we like each other. I'm just sort of egging you on. Right. And in you know, some I'm, ways that yeah. kind of teaching is, you know, it's a, it's like a, it's like egging someone on, show me what, mm. you know, like mm. challenge me back. You know, I don't know. Mm. Maybe that's.
0: Yeah. Like kind of a kind, like uh a- like, yeah, like a um, the kind of thing you do with intimates, like um, it's interesting that you brought up a new Yiddish word. I assume that's Yiddish because yeah. I actually gave my coworkers a Yiddish word of the day today, which is spielkes, which I have a lot of in my life. I'm very, I'm very tied to that term. I love learning new Yiddish words. For whatever reason, I find it just to my ear, at least it's it's one of the most expressive vocabularies.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I, most people probably realize that it's, it's, it's funny, Yiddish is based on German. Yeah, Germanic. Yeah, um, but when, it was funny. So if one said, if one ever ran across, there were these news you know, like rich Yiddish literature and newspapers and everything else, theater the and everything, culture. yeah. And it was written in Hebrew letters, but it was Germanic, basically,
2: mm, with mm. a
1: you know a twist because you mm. also had Polish and other you know the Slavs were also in, Jew you know in the Slavic regions, where, where so many of the Jews were, were residing. So it's that mm. kind
0: of not too unlike the differences in like Cantonese and Mandarin when they're spoken very different, but they based on the same set of characters. ultimately.
1: Yes. Now you're ahead of me there. I didn't know that.
0: Um, But, you know, I feel as though it's weird. Like I feel is teaching becoming too top down. Are people learning kind of by rote the way like, well, you know, that's what they call teaching
1: to the test. I don't know if Canada has that, but in this Um, country, the uh, look, for years now, conservative boards of education have been eager, determined, in fact, to disempower teachers and basically to reduce creativity and basically command the curriculum from top down. So, And what they do is, first of all, they We're demand- are Prussia
0: or something. like Are we Prussia? Yeah, well,
1: they, de- they, demand, they demand teaching to the test. The test mm-hmm. would be, and that way, depending on how the students do, they can tell you how good a teacher you supposedly are. Got the picture. So yeah, yeah. there. I think so the two with No child
0: left <laughs> behind, right? Start interrupt. Well, sorry. That's when it, no child left behind was a big part of that, right? Yeah,
1: I bet that was yes, right. Now, and by the way, that's not specifically. You know, it's not specifically conservatives. I mean, the the Democrats bought into it too, obviously. Um, hmm. I mean, neoliberalism in education has been pushed as much by conservative by Democrats over many years as Republicans. In fact, the, one of the big differences is I have a feeling that the Republicans were prepared to cut budgets and impose conservative argument ideas in the curriculum of humanities and social sciences, and the Democrats just basically were willing to punish teachers. I, I, know, it sounds, not I know it enough. sounds amazing; it really does. But it is the case that that if you looked at the Obama years and the Clinton years and checked out who their boards, who their uh, secretaries of education were, you get the idea. Betsy DeVos. Was it, was was, you know, Cruella Deville, admittedly, but what went on before her just paved the way to her in some mm. ways. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I can hear liberals saying, "What are you talking about?" But believe me, okay, believe me, it's been a nightmare for teachers. Oh, I mean, for decades now,
0: it's it's it's. It's reached kind of a a ridiculous breaking point with this, like this bill in Florida. They want to they want to survey students on their political beliefs. Oh, yeah. And and they
1: want to interview. It's like the Spanish Inquisition come to Florida, right?
0: Run by fucking idiots, though. Like at least the Spanish Inquisition probably had some competent administrators who were properly educated. (laughs) Like, what the fuck are the Floridians going to do? They're going to be like, do you believe in like they, they like they use terms that they just they're completely detached from any kind of reality. You know what I mean? It's just—it's just one long simulacrum of talking points.
1: What goes on in Canadian education? Oh, don't even get days. me started, Harvey.
0: Honestly, like I, I don't know if you noticed, but I haven't been doing tons of episodes lately. I've been kind of struggling because in Canada, with this—the the, these mass graves that have been started to be unearthed. Oh yeah. I'm—I yep. mean, I—I've—I've I've known about that for a while. I think a lot of—I think a lot of people in Canada knew that that kind of thing was likely, although the majority apparently didn't. I I feel as though on a a certain level, it's almost like Canada's Vietnam in the sense that our culture is now gonna be split somewhat, at least between people that want a full reckoning and people that still wanna believe, hey, there's still some good things about our country. Because any Canadian who lives in any kind of city- By the way, there
1: are some good things about Canada.
0: There are, there are certainly. Um,
1: Bare naked ladies.
0: Bare naked ladies, David Cronenberg. Kids in the
1: Hall, once upon
0: a time. well, I, I think pound for pound the greatest sketch comedy show of all time. I mean, I know Saturday Night Live's been on longer, but
1: yeah, I, I, my my younger daughter was a huge fan. In fact, um, what's his name? Thompson. Quick. Um, Scott Thompson. Scott Thompson did a show when my daughter when my daughter's in New York, and oh, this was a few years ago, not too many, but a few years ago, she got tickets for us to to go to a late night, very like fifty people late night with Scott with uh, Scott Thompson. Mm. He's I, was really, only, I was the yeah. only person probably above the age of 40 in the room at that time.
0: So it just goes to so, show. So of course, how, so of course he picked on it. me. He picked sure. on
1: me to win over the, uh, the the young folk, but it was funny as could be. It was great.
0: He's still sharp as ever. I saw him on a podcast in the last couple of years and he had this interesting thought where, cause I mean, obviously he's a gay icon in, this, in the way that he yeah. was kind of the first openly gay performer on TV, right. um, et cetera. And he was saying, I mean, it was it's quite controversial actually. I'm sure this might offend some people, but he was saying that he felt the the LGBTQ plus acronym was anti progressive because it just made it just made the sexuality of the gay and lesbian and uh, beyond community kind of almost like in the background, and it was just purely just a, uh, an acronym oh, that yeah, designates you right. as an identity. And he felt as though the the sexual side of that whole you know, uh, community is really where a lot of its power came from, which I thought was kind of interesting perspective. Um, yeah, well, also- based
1: on, on the show that night, I think you're absolutely right. That's probably, that, that was his argument. He, he, he definitely, definitely, definitely was, wanted to emphasize his sexuality yeah. and gay sexuality, right? He's one of my favorite,
0: uh, on all the L- Larry Sanders show DVD extras, they, they went and interviewed a lot of the cast years later. He was on that for the last few years. And it's so funny because they do his interview while he's in the bath. He's just like in his bathroom, bathroom, having a bubble bath, just like talking with a really low voice, very quiet. It's just so, I love that guy. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know what's also funny about, look, before we leave Canada behind, um, I have to tell you, I don't know what it is, but my, my ties to Canada, as in friends and comrades and acquaintances mm-hmm. and all that, I know it's increased dramatically I know it's incre- The numbers aren't great in quantity, but seriously speaking, I didn't. I had rarely had contact with Canadians before the past four years, and something about mm. these last several years is just all of a sudden, you know. Front and this is this is from, geez, Montreal to Vancouver. It's mm-hmm. it's amazing. I don't know you know. I don't know if it's because Canadians have tied into the Twitterverse with Americans in a, in a way not. I
0: mean, honestly, if you're politically engaged as a Canadian, it's pretty rare that you're not drawn into American politics. Like, I certainly have friends who are very politically active and completely devoted to Canadian issues and the community yeah. here and whatnot. And there's definitely a lot of stuff to fight for here. But again, and I've, I've said this many times before on the pod, it's like, you know, living in Roman Gaul, you're just inevitably going to be like, well, you know, uh, the center is there. And so, I mean, especially for me as well, having grown up with kind of the American influence as well. Um I don't know though, I feel like national boundaries in a way are, are feeling feeling less and less relevant than ever. Although obviously like they still are very much a real fact, especially between a place like Canada and, and the US, um, which, well, you know, we're basically I, a colony. Well,
1: but... you know, soon the maritime provinces and uh, the Plains state, the Plains provinces, they'll, you know, they'll be ours, right? Thank you.
0: Yeah, no problem, no <laughs> problem. Or we'll, or we'll, you know what, California. wait a minute,
1: the real, f- yeah, what I'm forgetting is what's really broken down the the boundaries is Hallmark movies. You think so? Well, think about it. So here, Canadians literally have their their own. There's an, an three networks are Hallmark networks. Mm. There's and they're all made up in you know well mostly in the in British Columbia, okay, with mostly Canadian actors
2: mm-hmm.
1: pretending they're Americans. And you know they have the drones that take pictures of New York or Washington D.C. or yeah, Chicago or yeah. small town America, and then that's for you know the sort of what do they call it, intros and outros to scenes. Yes,
0: yeah. interior. Exterior, but it's always
1: yeah. really done up in Canada. I mean, the mm. New England town is really up there. The 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 Gulf Coast yeah. town is really up there somewhere. Yeah. So I think it's really the sort of takeover of American culture by Canada,
0: really. Well, we can only hope. We can only hope. I mean. Yeah. I think both countries have a lot to learn from each other. Um, you know, I think the ties of like family yeah, and like friendship Yeah, like national really healthcare we
1: could sure the hell use down here.
0: Yeah, and I can't think of anything right now, but I'm sure there's stuff America could teach us. <laughs> to be honest actually, one thing they could teach us I, is I know what just... you could
1: use. What are you talking about? Surely you'd like to have uh
0: Matt Gates? No. No.
1: Who who won the who won the NHLs?
0: Oh, uh, Tampa Bay, sure. I'll take them. Yeah, there yeah. you go. See, I no was problem. trying to go
1: right to the heart of your life.
0: Okay? Yeah, it's so- true. I will say actually on this topic we were just on, um, and Canada has not done this and it's extremely politically stupid and it's just dumb on every level. You know, they know there's at least, you know, 80 to hundred of these mass graves out there, but they're not actually dropping everything and, and putting funding together to actually go and fucking find them. They're relying yeah. just on the, the, the individual groups themselves to do the heavy lifting. Whereas once this story really broke, in America, they said, "Okay, we're gonna search every former school where anything like this happened in America and search for mass yeah. graves right now." Which is a smart fucking thing to do, man, because like, it shows at least like you're not just doing nothing. or is yeah. the government yeah, well, here is.
1: Can I just mention something else as ahead. long as we're on the subject of Canadian suppression of history or whatever? So you know, so you know about the rounding up of uh, of Ukrainians uh, in where? stages of World War One.
0: Oh, in World War One, I. Uh, I didn't yeah. I didn't know that much about that in particular. But obviously, there were there were no, few different like, internments. like you know
1: what, what we did later with the Japanese Americans. Mm. When I say we, I mean it's you know what the Amer- what the American government did in 1942, three and four, and putting them into internment camps. I I don't like the word concentration camps because it generally implies death camps. But I mm. use the term internment camps. Mm-hmm. well ukraine i think it was just the men but ukrainians in canada who are ve- who are a sizable minority very, in yeah, very certain big. provinces i mean yeah. you go out to both the north both north dakota and well, what's that above it manitoba manitoba and in yeah yeah i mean you know they were basically rounded up and placed into remote you know what would otherwise be seen as areas of logging camps up north and yeah. um you know shipped by train and all of that a friend of mine who, uh, this is a good example of what I mean by new friends from Canada who I've never met face-to-face, but she followed me on Twitter. Her name is Diana Kofini, if I'm mm. pronouncing it right, an actress up there. She and her partner put together, a doc- who, who was, I believe, Ukrainian uh, or, um, descent, mm-hmm. put together a documentary, which is available on YouTube It's and it won prizes, in, I th- I'm in Canada and in human rights film festivals in Europe, mm. all about those events Mm. so yeah I mean both both countries have a lot to account for I I, I'm with you on that
0: yeah I mean it's just uh it's weird being like a political animal in Canada because you know in a weird way you feel as though you can't really comment on politics elsewhere but you also feel it's it's kind it can be kind of hard to get that interested in Canadian politics because it's it feels low stakes it feels as though it's kind of like the same thing over and over again like the liberal parties run this country forever and they're totally yeah. useless I actually I'm hoping this particular issue with the the genocide being f- more fully uncovered will help propel the NDP to power But we'll see but yeah. I'm
1: glad we took the detour we did both into Canada and America and also on pedagogy
0: well like people need to fucking collaborate and learn like I, I really the more and more the older I get I feel as though that's our true human nature lies in collaboration and cooperation and meeting of minds. And that's why I'm doing this. You know, that's how I approach my day-to-day work as well. Not really how I approach my personal relationships. I fuck those up on a more regular basis, but if I did use that approach, they'd go much better. I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) What are people, uh, what should people be following? What, what do you got coming down the pipeline? I know you're always busy doing all kinds of spots and stuff.
1: Well, okay. So uh, I said, Wednesday, I'm going to do a Ben Dixon's show at 9 a.m., yeah. 9 also about the Josh Hawley piece that I wrote. Um, that'll be 9 a.m. Eastern time. Mm. And then that afternoon on Wednesday, I'm going to tape a, a record. I should, I, the word tape doesn't apply in this day. It's record, I guess. We know what you record, mean. Record an interview with a, a, a woman friend from Southern California, Simona Grace, who is heads a political action committee called Moms in Office. And she's mm. been, she decided to launch a series of conversations with authors that I think she's going to post them on Instagram. I'm not in, on Instagram, which is one of the reasons I think it's not live with me. It's recorded with me. Mm. Um, I'm, every Friday afternoon, if people are interested, I do, a ra- I'm, I do one hour of what is otherwise a three-hour-a-day daily uh, radio show out of Boston, the Jeff Santos show and mm-hmm. that's at revolutionradio.com online it's there's a call letters in various places around the country but best place to look online he's on twitter at jeff santos okay mm. okay and what else is coming up um geez i don't want to insult anyone by forgetting what i knew you'd posted. have a
0: litany i'm using the term litany wrong but incorrectly but i knew there would be a list you're, you're staying very busy oh How you asked for it i'm song? sorry no sorry, i, I, I want to hear it i want people to know
1: I do, uh, I do David Feldman's show every Thursday night, quite often the late slot. It's like 11 p.m. with a, with a fellow who's a, a, become a friend, though we've still not met face-to-face, Alan Minsky, who was the head of Progressive Democrats of America. right? Yeah. Very, very effective lobbying group yeah. and grassroots group. Strongest maybe in California, but uh, active nationally. Mm. Um, and then... Mm-hmm. Uh, Monthly, I go, if people have satellite radio, uh, there's the progressive channel. And I do once a month, I go on with John Fuglesang. You know John Fuglesang's work? I don't know if I do. I'm gonna yeah, him he's, up right now. He's one of the, no, with all due respect, he is one of the smart, you're, you're, you're a smart guy. This guy is brilliant. <laughs> this, this guy, I I'm actually- I'm a smart
0: doofus, I, let's say. I'm somewhere yeah, in the middle. This,
1: well, this guy blows me away. His knowledge of, you'd love this guy, his knowledge of Hollywood, music, Mm. history politics it's really i mean it just blows me away he was on tv for a while he was the runner up i think for the replacement for john stewart on the daily show
0: oh they um, should have picked him for sure not a big trevor noah guy
1: oh, okay and then also and he did he did some tv he does a lot of sort of he, he's done, he did stand up for a, quite a long time i i think the guy is great john Fugel sang so uh, mm. yeah
0: fantastic we can talk for another two hours if you want
1: no, actually, it's probably a good all, idea.
0: All kinds to, of time. Because
1: that, that way I can come back. I'll get back to you. We can do another show soon that way. We don't have to.
0: Yeah, I'd love to. Um, Really appreciate you taking the time. Honestly, like you're really an inspiration to a lot of different people. And I think your work is having a really positive impact on people's perceptions. That's oh, really of nice of you things, to say that.
1: Thank you. Just, really nice.
0: Yeah. Keep up the great work. And I don't even need to
1: say that because I know you will. And in fact, August 9th, Americans who've been vaccinated can re-enter, can enter Canada for the first time in months, months
0: and, and months. And, and so the refugee crisis begins. That'll be yeah, nice. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's really good. It's like, no, it's like North I, Koreans I, massing I, on the Chinese border. I fantasize border.
1: the idea of just making a, a run to, in a something like I mean, that.
0: Brain gain, Harvey, total brain gain. People talk about the brain drain, but we, that would be a huge gain for us. You're the connective I, I mean, tissue for the American radical left, Harvey. Are you aware of this? You're the beating heart.
1: I didn't know that.
0: <laughs> I, I either the joke was not funny, or I, I was—you're horrified I by, by the thought.
1: As long as I'm not the vampire, or the, you know, something like that.
0: No, definitely not. Definitely not.
1: One thing I'll say that, and this as my way of honoring Michael before we go, is that. You know, I'd done a lot of television. I'd done television, and I did a lot of stuff. And then one thing Michael did is he sort of introduced me to a sort of younger generation by having me on as he did. And he always used to say to me, "This is to compliment not simply myself, but all the more the other two people I'm mentioning." He always used to say he had three mentors. One was Adolf Reed, mm-hmm. okay, political scientist. Um, Richard Wolff, mm-hmm. the economist, and me. Historian and sociologist, and in some ways, you know, it was a I, I I couldn't have imagined two other people that I'd rather be associated with in terms of mentoring Michael than Richard and uh, and Adolf. I don't I don't know Richard well. I've, we've known each other a long time, but we mm-hmm. don't know each other well. Adolf, I've known for a very short time, but I feel like I know him better. Almost something
0: about mm-hmm. it. So, well, you know, I mean, I got introduced to you on that show. You know, obviously, this conversation would be happening without that. I think, you know, the legacy his legacy is really and it's really hard i think for a lot of people on an emotional level still and it probably will remain it is hard for
1: me in many ways yeah
0: yeah we'll, we'll stay that way for a while like grieving uh, everyone takes it at their own kind of pace um but i mean i think his legacy certainly in the independent kind of left media you know it's going to be felt for a really really fucking long time and it's not going anywhere it's only going to grow so yeah
1: and the crashes and breakups that have occurred this past year all in the left media which we everyone knows but i don't need to go over that yeah i don't think it would have happened in the same way if michael had been around to temper people a bit he, he was really good
0: at diffusing the kind of bullshit bombs you know yeah
1: yeah and um and also and you know he was very much an internationalist but one of the reasons i think that he had me on regularly and i came to believe is he really was really was interested in the radical story of america in terms of the possibilities it afforded to imagination and encouragement all that kind of an energy so uh, yeah yeah so he's missed he really is
0: yeah but I mean his, his, his spirit lives on it's uh, you know I, it's hard to think of someone who's who really like at least in this sphere has had as much of an impact in so short a time so it's yeah. very it's very sad right. but you know we have to carry on the torch as best we can as I'm sure he would want everyone to although obviously I didn't know him personally. I think I messaged him a couple of times on Instagram about the Sopranos, which is such a huge thrill for me at the time. <laughs> um, but, you know, his, 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 he, he, he seems like the kind of person to me that put himself really into his work. So I think as we kind of continue to grieve and we're able to look back on that work more, there's still a lot more lessons for us to learn from him. So we can oh, be really grateful I, for that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. OK, well, thank you very much for having me on tonight. And I'll oh, look such a pleasure, I look Harvey. forward to our next uh, exchange.
0: I look forward with bated breath, Harvey. Have a nice night, okay?